Hi, and welcome to the Potter's House podcast. We thank you for joining us for our weekly message, and we pray that this blesses and encourages you. If you'd like to learn more about the Potter's House, you can visit us at pottershouse.org. Now, let's join Pastor Michael as he brings this week's message. 11 verse 1 is where we're going to start. My thought today is very simple. It's the simplicity of Jesus. I love him. I said I love him. Do you love him? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. When you've got it, say, I'm there. If you need a minute, say, wait on me. All right, I'll wait for you. I've, uh, I've wrestled with this for two weeks. Two weeks ago, I preached, and I wanted to preach this, but there needed to be some um, development. There needed to be some thoughts laid out a little more clearly and until Saturday around six two weeks ago I thought this what this is what I was going to preach and then the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly throughout the last two weeks I've been wrestling with this I've been if you've ever preached you understand what I'm saying when you have to wrestle with the word of God you have to figure out what it is exactly he wants you to say I believe we are are in a space where it must be Jesus and Jesus only. I didn't say Jesus and. I said Jesus only. Jesus only. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to talk about Jesus toward the end, but I've got to help you understand why and where we are falling in the American church as believers being led away. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus who he, we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Holy Spirit, help me preach today in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I would submit to you that if there is a church in the epistles of Paul that America has the most in common with, it would be the church of Corinth to whom this letter was written. Corinth was a major trade route, which means Corinth had money, they were prosperous. Corinth was a gifted church. It's the church that Paul spoke most, of the, uh, spoke most about the gifts of the Spirit to because they were so gifted that they needed instruction. 
Corinth was a melting pot because it was a trade route. There was every ethnicity of the time, every background, every upbringing of the time could be found in Corinth. Are you listening? Not only were there so many races and, and, and so many ethnicities, there were so many religions. There were so many teachers teaching different religions. And does that sound like anywhere you live in? Sounds like America. Prosperous, gifted, creative, a melting pot, religions everywhere. So with that in mind, I want to talk to you like the Apostle Paul was talking to the church of Corinth. The first thing you've got to understand is that Paul was determined. Everybody say determined. He said, I'm determined. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This word jealous means to set one's heart on or to have a deep concern for. Uh, Corinth was the church that Paul loved the most. If you read his writings, you will pick up that Paul loved Corinth. He was a father to Corinth. He was a mentor to the church of Corinth. So much so that some scholars believe that he wrote 1 Corinthians first as a celebration and giving them instruction. And after he had heard that the first letter to the church of Corinth did not strike home and they did not obey the first letter, he sent the second letter called 2 Corinthians. And if you read 2 Corinthians, you capture Paul's burdened heart that they did not listen the first time. So much so, if you read in, 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 I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said there are things, listen, that are being reported among you that are not even reported among the Gentiles. There, there is sexual sin. There is sexual immorality that is being reported in the church that is not even reported among the sinners. Hello. And so Paul had a deep concern for Corinth because God had a deep concern for Corinth. Paul's concern was not his on his own. It was God's concern laid in the heart of Paul. And he said, I'm jealous for you. I've set my heart on you. I have deep concern for you because I have betrothed you to one husband. The word betrothed means to fit together, to join, to give in marriage, or to promise for marriage. He said, I, I have promised you to one husband. I, I, I have told you, you are the bride of one man. How many of you understand the Bible said we are the bride of Christ? The ecclesia is the called out ones. We are the bride of Christ. So Paul is saying, I, I've already given you as a bride to Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, 25 said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. 
that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy without blemish we are called to have eyes for one man his name is Jesus but the problem that we face because in order for us to heal of it, in order for us to get past it, you've got to expose what the problem is. The problem we face is that Jesus sits on the throne and he's only got eyes for one bride. He's only got eyes for one bride and it's the ones who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But we are that bride and we seem to have eyes for everybody else but him or we have eyes for everybody else and him we we have eyes we 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 have eyes that have been set on listen relevancy you can lose your separation for the sake of innovation if you're not careful we can be as relevant to the world as we can try. and You, you can be as relevant to the world as you want to be. But that relevancy is going to cost you something. That relevancy is going to cost you righteousness. It's going to cost you holiness. And we can try to be as relevant as we want to be but if we are relevant and Jesus is not the center focus we have nothing not only have we had our eyes on relevancy I'm about to make the devil mad and probably somebody in here we've had our eyes set on wokeness that in order to be effective we've got to be woke we've got to accept everybody we do have to accept everybody. But their sin is an abomination before the Lord. Just like mine is. But there is a culture who wants to push on us the agenda and push on us the thought processes and push on us that the Bible called them doctrines of demons. And we have willingly accepted them. Oh, I told Jacob this morning, I said, if I get to preach this morning, I've got to say some hard things. And I've asked the Lord to season my words with grace and love. But you could be a woke believer and still go to hell. No, 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 listen, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Because you can stand for everything that they stand for, but just because they're standing for it. In fact, if they're standing for it, most likely God is not. Oh, we just came out of the presence of the Lord, and y'all were thinking, I'm going to get up here and preach. We got a problem, church. We got a problem, and I'm trying to help us to open our eyes so we're not deceived. We've, we've had our 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 eyes set on bending to the pressure of society well you're not allowed to preach that homosexuality is a sin you're not allowed to believe 
that man was born man or woman and that marriage is between one man and one woman. Well, you're not allowed to believe that anymore. And so because the voices out there are so loud, we value the world's voice more than we value God's. We value their values more than we value his. And Paul said, it's the same thing with Corinth. Paul said, I am deeply concerned for you because I have committed you to one bride, but somehow, unaware, the devil has swept in and now your eyes are everywhere else but on him. He said, I'm, I'm deeply concerned for you, and I fear. So, so not only was Paul determined, but the church of Corinth was deceived. Everybody say deceived. He said, no, he didn't just say, I'm just concerned. He said, I'm afraid. I fear there's something inside of me that is afraid. Lest somehow, verse 3, the serpent, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds would be corrupted. The word deceived here means to seduce or swindling tricks or to cheat. 2 Corinthians chapter 2.11 says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we are not ignorant concerning his devices. The word devices here means thought processes or purpose. So he said, we are not ignorant concerning the thought processes of the devil. We are not ignorant concerning the purpose of the devil. Do you want to know the way the devil thinks? Pervert what God says. Okay. If God says live holy, the devil's not going to tell you to live holy. If God tells you, okay. If God tells you not to look at pornography or set any evil thing before your eyes, the devil is going to tell you to do it. He's going to tempt you. If you want to know how the devil thinks, pervert what God says. Paul said, we're not stupid concerning his devices. But that takes an intentionality. Because if you're, if you're aloofing your way through your life, I just made up a word if it wasn't already. If you are aloofing your way through your life and you're not paying attention, you will be deceived. You'll be deceived. And... and and deception is a last day sign. The scripture is clear that in the last days, before Jesus returns to get his bride, that there would be deception all over the place. Uh, Matthew 24, 4 and 5, take heed that no one deceives Jesus, Jesus talking. Take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Verse 11 of Matthew 24. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Verse 22. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, they will be shortened. Because if the days weren't shortened, even the elect would be deceived. Deception on top of deception on top of deception. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly. When the Holy Ghost speaks expressly, you better listen. That in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Haven't we seen it? Giving 
heed to, I'm about to make the devil mad. Giving heed to seducing, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The word heed in this scripture means to bring a ship to land, to touch at, give thought or effort to. The word seducing means wandering, vagabond, corrupter, or imposter. Then this word spirits, it means used of demons or evil spirits who were conceived as inhabiting the bodies of men. So Paul is saying there is going to come a time when men will touch, give thought to, or effort to wandering, vagabond, corrupting, imposter spirits. They would come a time that people would welcome these spirits into their life like a ship being welcomed to a shore. The other meaning of the word seduce means to touch at. In America, it is okay to touch at things we ought to be killing. To pet something. How many of y'all got a dog? Got a dog. Throw your hand up. You got a dog. What happens when that dog crawls up on your lap and you start petting it? Some of you said, I'm kicking it off. (laughs) But those of you that love your dog, you can pet that thing. And it's going to roll over and show you its belly. And then when you stop, it's going to look at you like, what'd you stop for? What are you doing? You're making it comfortable. And, and, and we have come into a time where Paul told Timothy, in the last days, people will make seducing spirits comfortable in their life. They will make them feel like they're at home in their life. Seducing spirits. Uh, divination is what it is. Can I, can, I, can I just be real with you and make some of you mad? No Bible-believing, saved, Holy Ghost-filled person ought to get anything from astrology, horoscopes, what you want to name it, nothing. Your identity is not in your sign. Your identity is in his word. Your identity is in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have been deceived into thinking that somehow horoscopes and astrology are just another thing God uses. I got news for you, baby. God don't use witchcraft. God doesn't use doctrines of demons. You don't need a sign to tell you why. Because the Bible said before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me he set me apart and he brought me a prophet to the nations he knows the number of hairs on my head he knows when I rise and when I fall I don't need the stars to tell me who I am I find my identity in the cross but we have been given over to doctrines of demons And we wonder why people aren't being healed. We wonder why there is no revival. 
Because believers are giving heed. They are welcoming like a ship to shore doctrines of demons. Mm, you can write me later. I came on a mission today. The church needs to return to Jesus. They would give heed to doctrines of demons. Do you want to know why there are horoscopes and why there is astrology? Because there are prophets and prophecy. And whenever there is something real, there is always something counterfeit. Why is there a counterfeit 20? Because there's what? A real 20. Come on now. The devil has no original ideas. He's an idiot. Sorry. He's a dummy. He has no original ideas. Every idea the devil uses, he got from something God is doing. Oh, okay. Not just that witchcraft. The practice of witches who use magic and sorcery to accomplish demonic will. God does not play with witchcraft. Galatians 5, 19, 20. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry. Listen. Sorcery is a work of the flesh. Mm. Hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. There are so many people, listen, who need deliverance, but they are in love with what they need delivered from. Need delivered from pornography, but you love it. Need delivered from alcohol, but you love it. Oh, it got awfully quiet in this room. <laughs> Need delivered, listen, from affirmation, but you love it. Need delivered from affection, but you love it. Need delivered from anger, but you love it. You can't be delivered from what you love. The Bible said, can Satan cast out Satan? No. Satan can't cast out Satan. So why do you think... Why you love what you're bound to, you can cast out what you're bound to. Mm -mm -mm -mm. God doesn't play with witchcraft. God doesn't play with sorcery. And how often, it, it, the Bible said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Okay, I, I'm trying to get to this point because I'm going to help you. 2 Timothy 3.13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Somebody say deception. Paul told Corinth, I fear that you are being deceived. Deceived. And he said, just like even the garden. So let, let's look at that real quick. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Ah, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 13 of Genesis 3. The woman said, the serpent deceived me 
and I ate. This word crafty, he was more crafty. It means tricky or treacherous. The serpent was more treacherous than any other beast in the field. So how, how are you deceived? How was Eve deceived in the garden? And how are we deceived today? Let me tell you, number one is a lack of discernment. Charles Spurgeon said this, discernment isn't knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Can I help you? The serpent wasn't out of place in the garden. Let's let that sit on you for a minute. The serpent wasn't out of place in the garden. He was just like every other serpent, looked like every other serpent, had the same tongue as every other serpent. The, the alien in the garden was the devil who used the serpent. But the serpent itself, come on now, the snake itself belonged in the garden. I, I think a lot of times we have been taught that Satan is going to show up in a big scary mask with a big red cape, be growling, slobbering, hissing, fighting, when in reality... In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Satan parades himself around like an angel of light. And some of you say, well, don't let Satan in your garden. Newsflash, he's probably already there. He's probably already in your garden. What you're lacking is the discernment to say that looks right, that sounds right, that feels right, but it's not God. Because not everything that looks, sounds, and feels right is the Lord. And, and, and so we are, we are really good at discerning. Well, that is blatant evil. That is blatantly evil. But what about the evil under the surface? It's no wonder Eve wasn't confused when she was talking to the serpent because he belonged in the garden. Are y'all hearing me this morning? He, he looked like he belonged, felt like he belonged. He blended in like he was in a tree like the serpents do. But the difference was, Eve couldn't tell the difference between right and almost right. Eve couldn't tell. See, and it's just like us, we can't tell that we don't need to be in that relationship. Because it feels right, sounds right, looks right, it's everything we need. <laughs> but we lack the discernment to say just because it looks and does all those things. Come on, doesn't mean it belongs. Just because they can preach good. Yeah. Just because they got talent and gifts. Mm. Just because they can sing good. Can I tell you something? We, we have... One of the other reasons that I'm so burdened for worship, our worship team and worshipers is that we have promoted people based on talent. And your talent will take you here, but your character will keep you. And your integrity will keep you. But if they can sing, surely they belong on the worship team. But we're not concerned if they're addicted to pornography. Come on. But I, let's, let's not even talk about the worship team. Let's just talk about ministry and leadership, period. Oh, they've got charisma. Let's put them in a leadership position. But we're not going to talk about the rejection 
that they deal with. We're, we're not going to talk about the addiction that they have in their life. We're going to promote people based on talent because it looks right, feels right, and sounds right. Uh, but if we had one ounce of discernment, we realize there's a gift in there. But there needs to be development before the gift gets put on the platform. Somebody shout discernment. It's not about discerning right and wrong. It's about discerning right and almost right. And you are a candidate for deception when you have no discernment. I've heard people say, well, you know, I just got this gut feeling. Now talk to Jesus about that gut feeling. Talk to him. Because that gut feeling might just be discernment. That instinct, listen, you're not that smart on your own. I love you, but you're not. I'm not either. That instinct may just very well be the Holy Ghost. Talk to him about it. So number one is a lack of discernment. Number two, you are a candidate for deception when you have a lack of accountability. Let me help you. Just because you've got people in your life doesn't mean you have accountability in your life. Adam stood right next to Eve as she talked to the serpent, and not one time did Adam say, Eve, stop. Not one time did Adam say, Eve, we're listening to this serpent, which is strange already, talking to this thing, and he's telling us something that is completely opposite of what God told us. Stop. But what did Adam do? Eve ate the apple and gave it to Adam, and he ate as well. So just because you're surrounded by people doesn't mean you're surrounded by accountability. If you're not surrounded by accountability and community, you're a candidate for deception. It doesn't mean deception is sure to happen, but it means deception is going to be easier to happen. We're better together. And there's a lack of accountability in, in the discipleship process to say, look, you told me that this is what God spoke to you, but in his word, I don't see that lining up anywhere. You told me that God said to do this, but in his word, I don't see that anywhere in his word. So how could God say something to you that he can't back up with his word? Hmm. So lack of accountability. Then number three, a lack of belief and understanding of God's word. Verse 1 of Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, the Lord God. And he said, did God actually say? He was testing Eve's knowledge of the word of God. Did God really say? Did God actually say? The thing about the devil is very rarely will he tell you an outright lie, but more a half-truth. Did God really say? Did God really say, be holy? Did God really say, he'll heal you? Did God really say that he'll mend you? Did God really say he'll be your provider? And you've got to wrestle with this, is that what does the word of God say? What's the word of the Lord say? That, that's how when Jesus was in the, in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, what did he do? He fought back with the word. He didn't fight back with vain philosophies and good ideas and, and good... He didn't fight back with self-help. He said, thus says the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord says, thus says the Lord. If you want to guard yourself from deception, this is where you've got to have your face. 
And not just reading, but understanding. Understanding. So, so we're deceived because we lack discernment, we lack accountability, we lack belief in God's word. And number four, we lack contentment. Everybody say contentment. In that garden, Adam and Eve had everything they could ever want. But one tree in the garden, one tree, they had, I dare say, millions of trees to pick from. Millions of animals to name and play with. And man, could you imagine like riding a lion through the garden? Like that'd be so sweet. Y'all read the Bible with no imagination. I imagine myself busting through that garden on an elephant. <laughs> okay. Had all this, and more, more than the trees, more than the animals, they had one-on-one -on -one communion with God himself. They walked with God in the cool of the day. But one tree, one apple, off of one tree, and they forfeited everything. Because they weren't content in Jesus and the Father being enough. When I live my life with a lack of contentment, I will be deceived into thinking that what the devil can offer me is better than just being with Jesus. And I'll forfeit everything for an apple. I'll forfeit it all because of one tree. One tree. And then he said, I, your minds will be corrupted. Are you with me still? Okay, cool. Corrupted. This word corrupt means to destroy, to deprave, or to pervert. Ephesians 4.22 said to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. So what was Paul saying? He said, I fear like Satan did to Eve, your minds are going to be corrupted. And here, here's, here's my last point. We've got to be devoted. He said your minds would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity. This word simplicity means singleness or exclusive. Paul is speaking to a gifted, rich, prosperous church. And he states the thing he is worried the most about. He did not say, I'm afraid that Satan is going to come in and rob you of your gifts. He didn't say, I'm afraid that Satan is going to come in and rob you of your money. He said, I'm afraid Satan has come in and he is going to rob you of the singleness of mind, the exclusiveness of mind that belongs to Jesus. Belongs to Jesus. Because, because here, here's the thing. You can have money, but if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. You, you can have gifts, but if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. You can have peace, you think is peace, but if you don't have Jesus, it's a false peace. 
If Paul is saying, I'm afraid because I've, I've presented you as a bride to Christ and now false teachers and the devil himself have crept in and has deceived you. And once you are deceived, it corrupts your mind of the singleness of thought toward Jesus. Toward Je- Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I can't speak for you. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've got a wife. I love my wife. I've got three babies. I love them all. I've got family on both sides that I love dearly and they love me. I've got a church that I love. I work with a staff that I love. But they can't do anything close to what Jesus did for me. And, and, and when did we come, become so distracted from his beauty? When did money and fame, the cares of life, get more of our attention than him. He is hands down the best thing that has ever happened to me. Is he the best thing that's ever happened to you? He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've been a lot of places. I've preached in a lot of churches. I've been given a lot of offerings, and Jesus is still the best thing. I've I've been able to minister on the other side of the planet, be connected to some of the greatest people you'd ever meet in the world, and Jesus is still the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've got a house. Thank God I've got cars. I'm blessed, and I'm blessed by God. But Jesus, all those other things, Jesus is still the best thing. It's ever happened to me. How have we become so deceived to think that church could be better than Jesus? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How could we ever believe that ministry could be better than Jesus? It's not. It's Jesus for me. I don't know about you. It's Jesus for me. I don't know about your family, but it's Jesus for my family. I don't know. You you may, you know, this church is Jesus for this church, baby. It's not Jesus and Jesus with the side of. It's Jesus only because he's the best thing. Ever happened. I'm trying to get something to click in your in your spirit today because he's the best thing. I sat this week in my office and wept thinking about all the things that he's done for me. He is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I, you could give me all the gold and silver that you want. He's the best thing 
that's ever happened to me. You could give me the biggest church that you could find and he'd still be the best thing. You could give me all the talents, all the gifts, all the money, all the fame, all the notoriety and it would still be rubbish next to knowing him. Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me because without him I was a sinner sinking deep in sin. I was far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within sinking to rise no more but Jesus the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me it's not about what you think is right and what you think is wrong it's not about our songs and our preaching it is about this I am afraid that we are being deceived from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ he is seated on the throne and there's no competition there there's one on the throne there's no politics in the throne room. Yeah. There's no lack in the throne room. Once Jesus, when Jesus ascended into the heavens, from, the t- from before time began, they sang a song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Can I help you understand something about praise? The angels don't have a choice whether they praise or not. Their job is to lift up holies around the throne. But we've got a song that the angels cannot sing because the angels were not sinking in sin. The angels were not sick in their body. The angels were not lacking. The angels had a, didn't have a need that God met there's a song in me that the angels cannot sing that's why the Bible said let the redeemed of the Lord say so Uh, Colossians 2.18 he said let no one cheat you of your reward Jesus is the reward if you need healing in your body it's Jesus it's not a special prayer it's not a special oil it's Jesus we want revival does anybody want revival and awakening it's Jesus it's not in our laying hands on people it's not in our speaking in tongues and dancing and running and shouting revival is Jesus when Jesus comes every dead thing in his path has to come back to life when Jesus comes every sleeping baby every sleeping church has to wake up because Jesus Jesus has come. You need deliverance? It's Jesus. You need salvation? It's Jesus. And he said, let no one cheat you of your reward. Uh I've stirred up hell. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not horoscopes and astrology. Um, It's not self-help books and self-help teachings. It's Jesus. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, is what the word said. In him consists all things, for all things were made by him. If Jesus ceased to exist, so would we. If Jesus stopped holding us together, we would fall apart. My body, my physical body is held together in him. 
My mind is held together in him. My thought processes are held together in him. My vision, the vision God has given us is held together in him. My path, my destiny is held together in him. Jesus is the best thing. I know we can, I clap to that, I shout to that. But man, when you come into worship on Sunday morning, I know y'all hate when we get practical. We come into worship on Sunday morning. And we sit there and we just stare at the worship team. And we only sing if we like the song. I'm sorry. Did Pastor David die for you? Oh, y'all didn't like that. Did anybody on this worship team give their life to rescue you from the pit you were in? I got news for you. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. And we only, we think, we only think Jesus is worthy when we're singing the right song and the, the, the temperature is the right temperature. It's hot right now. Probably because I'm up here screaming my head off. But he's worthy. We, we only think he's worthy when they sing our favorite song. When the temperature's just right, when the sound's just right, and we sit there and we critique everything. Y'all, we're like John in Revelation 4. We see the per- girl, the pearly gates. We see the streets of gold. We see the rubies and the sapphires, but we've missed the lamb because we're so concerned about everything else that's happening around us. We don't realize the lamb is in our midst. And it's all about Jesus. He is the best that has ever happened to me. I want you to stand on your feet all over the room. And I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to just begin to give him worship because he's the best thing that's ever happened to you. How can we be so deceived? How is church better than him? How is a worship song better than him? How is ministry better than him? It's not. He's the best thing. Ever, 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 ever happen. I, I want to read a couple scriptures and then we're going to pray. Colossians 3.11, Christ is all and in all. Somebody say he is all and he's in all. Listen to this. Christ is all in God's eternal purpose. In Colossians 1.19 and 2.9, he is the image of God. In Colossians 1.15 and 16, he created all that exists. Colossians 1.17, he is eternal and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, Colossians 1.18. In Colossians 1.18, he will have preeminence. In Colossians 1 and 20, through him all of creation is reconciled to God. Christ is all in God's eternal purpose and Christ is all in God's plan of salvation. In him, we are redeemed and have forgiveness for our sins. Colossians 1.14. Colossians 2.10. In him, we are complete. Colossians 2 and 3. In him, we have all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 1.27. In him, we have the hope of eternal glory. So, if he is all that... In God's plan, what should he be in my life? 
If he's all that in God's idea, in God's design, if he's all that, what should he be right here? What should he be right here? I'm afraid. Because Satan has crept in unaware. And he's not deceived us of how gifted we are. That's not lost on anybody. He's not deceived us of how well we can preach and how well we can sing. He's not deceived us of how prosperous we are. He's not deceived us of how blessed we are. He's deceived us into making us think that Jesus is anything less than the best thing that has ever happened to us. Simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. And thanks to those of you who give so generously to make things like this possible. You can click the link in the description or go to pottershouse.org for more details and to see the exciting things happening here at the church and how you can get involved. We encourage you to share this week's message with your friends and family. We look forward to seeing you next week.